Okay, let's reach out to Clarence. Let's pray for him as he brings the word. God, we thank you for this gift that you put in Clarence, a preacher from 13 years old. His dad was a preacher. And uh, I don't know how many generations, Lord, but you've invested decades and decades and decades. Thank you for Zalia here too, Lord God, as a couple, a blessing they are to us, Lord. I just pray that, um, that you would use them. We pray that you would use them, Lord, to change us, God, to mold us, to chip away, to recalibrate us, Lord. I pray for our hearts now, God. Lord, won't you help each one of us to find what you're saying to each one of us as we listen to this word now, God, because often the message to each one of us is different. <laughs> but prepare our hearts now, we pray. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Oh, good afternoon. What an awesome time of worship. We sang those words, King of Glory. Have your glory. And when we are, we are obedient to God, to the call of God, that brings Him glory. But when we disobedient to the call of God, we withhold glory from God. Think about that for a moment. When I refuse to respond to what God calls me to, I, as a feeble human being, withholds glory from God. And sometimes we do that without thinking about it. So I'd like to speak to you today about fulfilling your calling, fulfilling your ministry. And I didn't just pluck that line out of the air. I actually want us to to read it in Timothy, 2 Timothy. Should be up there. Second Timothy 4. And I'm just reading this to set the tone for where we're going. This is not the sermon. This is the introduction free of charge. You don't pay for this yet. <laughs> Paul starts by saying, I charge you in the presence of God. Now, number one, right now, you'll find it hard to argue with me that we're not in the presence of God. Right now, God, God has shown us and given us His tangible presence. So we're in the presence of God, and the writer here says, I charge you in the presence of God. And that word charge is not just a gentle suggestion. If you would like to, maybe you should. No, no, he actually takes out the biggest hammer and he, and he nails this, this nail in and he says, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is the judge the living, uh, of the living and the dead. In, and by his appearing and his kingdom, he has taken out the biggest hammer and is nailing the point that I charge you in the highest authority to preach the word in season and out of season. It's not saying this is my suggestion or this will be good for your health. No, he's saying by the highest authority possible. And the word preached there might be slightly misleading. 
It is not what I'm doing right now. It is proclaiming the good news, gossiping the gospel. I'm giving you the right, if you have had long time practicing gossiping, you can start gossiping the gospel. Jesus actually gives you permission to do that. He says, preach the word. And here's what I like in season and out of season because this deals with the excuse that we have. I think my season is done. No, no, out of season you still preach. Out of season you still gossip the gospel. And it's by that authority. He says, he goes further and he says, um, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort, and with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming... And I, and I would like to say it is here. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Will you agree with me? We, have, we know people like that. But having each ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Now, I'm not one of them. I'm not going to soothe your ears tonight. I'm just going to bring a message that God has laid on my heart. And it might hit you in the face. It might knock out your front teeth, and I do apologize for that. But I can only say what the Holy Spirit of God has laid on my heart. I'm not going to say what you'd like to hear. Because God is trying to wake up the church. The church is the biggest sleeping giant there ever were. And God wants to wake up the church to live in everything that he has called the church to be. That's corporately, but he wants to wake you up. Because he wants you to live in everything that is called for you to be. So he says, um, And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander into, into myths as for you. So now we're coming to you. Look to the guy next to you and say to him, he's talking to me. He's talking to me tonight. As for you. Always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry. This is a charge from God. It's not something that the eldership thought up that maybe tonight we should encourage you to fulfill your ministry. This is in the word of God that we have, we have a responsibility. So, number one, when we speak about your ministry... You've got, there's two responses. Number one, and that's the one we like to look at is, we want to identify our ministry. And we do that. We want to be the prophet in the house, don't we? We want to be the musician up front. We want to be the one that leads people in worship. We want to be the one that prays and people he, um, get healed. That's who we want to be. But God is encouraging us to identify what he has called you to. This is not the spur. At the spur, now I'll tell you what my pay grade is because I go to the spur. Okay. <laughs> At the spur, you're always sorry that you ordered that because when they bring the other guy's food, you want that. And this is not the spur. You can't have what the other guy's having. You have what God has called you to be. And you've got to be faithful with that and you've got to fulfill your ministry. So, how do we do that? I'm going to look at, the, um, um, to try and explain this, I'm going to look at the life of Samson. 
So we're going over to Judges in the Old Testament. We're going to look at, at the life of Samson, and we're going to apply some stuff and learn some stuff from Samson. So I didn't check my watch when I started. When shall I be finished, Joey? Okay, let's hear what God says. So when we look at the life of Samson, and that's Judges 13 from verse 1. So I'm just going to go through it and give some uh, commentary on it, because there's no ways I can... I mean, in this, in this one chapter, chapter 13, you have a marriage seminar, you have a parenting course, you have a discipleship course. You, have, you can actually preach on different topics for quite a few weeks. It's all in here, and I'll just highlight them, and you can go and study them, and then you can preach to us in the next few weeks. Is that okay? It says here, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years, falling into sin again. But, but here's the good news. There was a certain man of Zorah, uh, 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 of the tribe of the Danach, which is Dan, whose name was Manoah. And here's the part that's interesting. And his wife, her name's not given, his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman. And said to her, Behold, you are barren, and have not born, a child, born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. And I really felt, starting off tonight, as I read this, I felt a prophetic word for somebody today. Really, often when I preach, God gives me a word, and I felt this word for somebody. You have been barren. But if you make yourself available to God tonight... He will plant a seed in you, and you will bear a son. And I'm not talking physically now. I am talking spiritually. You will bear much fruit. But you have to respond and open yourself up like the ground will open up when it's plowed, preparing, being prepared for the seed. You have to open up yourself and allow God to sow that seed tonight. And you've been barren for a long time. You've been sitting there and everybody's been wondering, when are you going to live up to the potential in your life? And God said, if you surrender tonight, I will do that for you. But you have to prepare your heart for that. So the first thing we see here is that when it comes to calling, it's not just your responsibility or um, uh, how you respond to calling. There's a, a responsibility that parents have. With respect to the calling of their children. And let's look at it. It says here, And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren. You have not born children. Here's your prophetic word. You're going to bear a son. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine and no strong drink um, and, and eat nothing and clean. In our language, no tussies, no clippies. And no bacon. <laughs> but here's the thing. I'm going to give you a son, a son of promise. I'm going to give you a ministry. Your son's going to be your ministry. But there's a price that you have to pay. Sometimes we pray for our children and we say, Lord, save them. Lord, 
um, let them be in, uh, involved in, in the kingdom, let them be in the, involved in the church, but we pray for them as if they are separate entities. Parents, the word is teaching us that we have a price to pay. When God gives us children, we need to be ready to pay a price so that our children can live in what God has called them to do. Often we, we want to live, I almost want to say, if I'm allowed, I'm not allowed to, I don't, I don't know what I'm allowed to say, not to say. <laughs> but, but sometimes we live like moral pygmies. We, we just live as if God doesn't exist, but then we expect God to do something in the lives of our children. It's a, it's a price to pay. It's not just for the person who gets the ministry as parents. We, there are some sacrifices to be made. It says here, no razor shall come upon him, and I'll come back to that now as part of the parameters of, of the ministry of Samson. But then, because the mother, um, I'm just going to paraphrase a bit because it's going to take a lot of time to go through that scripture. I suggest you can read it. Um, God speaks to, to the mother. Her name's not mentioned. Actually, it's never mentioned. So can I ask you, are you ready for a ministry that God will give you and your name will never be told? Or do you want the name part? Is that why you want the ministry? Her name was never mentioned, but God entrusted Samson to her. Sometimes we want the one with a name tag. But God say there might be something given to you and your name might never be mentioned but it's still a gift from God. And we need to settle these issues in our hearts. We need to settle that because if we don't it can lead to a lot of heartache and misunderstanding. So we find that God himself, the son, speaks to her. And the first thing she does, she runs to her husband. Let me find a few. She says here, um, verse 8. Then the woman came and told her husband. Why is that important? Because, because in ministry, when we're involved in the kingdom, once you're married, you're a team. And what irks me, what gets to me, is too often I speak to couples and during the conversation, the husband or the wife will say, I haven't even told my husband or wife yet, but God said this to me. Now you're telling me, but I haven't told your partner yet. That's wrong. That's wrong. When we, when we serve God together, we're a team. And whatever God speaks to me about, I share with my wife. And whatever God speaks to her about, she shares with me. Because we're a team and we serve God together. And, and maybe God has spoken to you about stuff. Maybe God has given you dreams and you haven't yet spoken to your partner about, I think it's time that you sit down and have a good chat. Because maybe that's the reason why that ministry is not in place yet. So dads, if you thought you're off the hook, you're not. Because the moment, and you'll find this in verse 8, the moment the wife came to Manoah and said to him, the angel of the Lord appeared to me. 
he started praying. He started praying. His response was, not, okay, now fine. I'm busy. Maybe you're in the garage and your wife comes in and says, the Lord has appeared to me. And uh, uh, Chris? I'm spraying my back. It's okay. It's okay. When God spoke to his wife, Manoah turned to pray. Guys, there's a huge lesson in that for us. Because as the man, he takes responsibility for the spirituality of his wife. He covers her. He leads. And he leads front-footedly. He says, Manoah, pray to the Lord. And this is what he did. He said, O Lord, Please let the man of God who you sent come again to us. He ushers in the presence of God, even though they only have a promise. They haven't got the son yet. They haven't got the promise yet. But because of the word of God given, he ushers in the presence. He calls in the presence of God. And even in the physical. In the physical, there's a lesson for us as parents here. Sometimes when we hear that uh, we're pregnant, uh, I believe that's how they said, but my wife was pregnant, I wasn't. Um, but when you hear that you're pregnant, there's all kinds of celebrations. But my question is, is the first one prayer? Ushering in the presence saying, listen to this, it says here, come again, this is verse 8, come again, let him come again to us and teach us what we are to do with the child that will be born. The first response in the physical when we hear that we are about to have a child should be, Lord, show us what we should do. Uh, there's this, there's this uh, uh, tradition when a son is born, then men light up cigars and they, uh, and they celebrate in that way. I love what I see here. Even before the son was born, Manoah ushers in the presence of God. And by doing that, by doing that, he's making sure that he gives the son the best chance to live in the ministry that God has called him to do. So, so it's not only my responsibility for my ministry. If I have children, I have a responsibility to respond to the call of God for their lives because later on you'll see, it says this, in, if I can just jump to verse 12, it says this, And Manoah said, When your words come true, when this child is born, what is to, what is to be the child's manner of life? And guess who's, who is to provide the child's manner of life? The parents. So the question is, as our kids grow up, as our kids grow up, have we created a manner of life for them? That gives them the best opportunity to fulfill their ministry. As we'll see in the life of Samson, he still got it wrong. But his parents gave him the best chance. And I feel God is speaking to us as parents today. That we will inquire from God. As, he, as Manoah went in verse 8, he said, come and teach us. Come and show us the manner of life. Inquire of God, because when you ask of God, He will answer you, and He will show you. So, question is, do you know what ministry or what calling God has placed on your child? Have you got an idea? 
Have you thought about it? Have you considered how your... I've just read this in a book. It hasn't happened anywhere close that I could identify. But your anger at home when you, when you, when you lose it. Like I said, I just read it in a book. When you lose it, what does it teach you, child? When you panic, when you fear, when, when your month is more than your money. The way you respond, what does it teach your child? How big is your God? So we find there's a responsibility of the parents when it comes to calling as well. So let's look at this call. The call that, that um, Samson was called to live by. It says here, and we can go back to verse 3 if you don't mind, um, of verse 4. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine, no strong drink, and eat nothing unclean. Now, if you pay attention, that's the, that's the instruction to the mother. But it's the same instruction, basically, as what Samson will get. Although it's not her ministry, she's called to pay the same price. And parents, we need to pay attention to that. For behold, you shall conceive a son. No razor shall come upon his head. Now, now you guys think I'm talking about me. Eh? No, 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 no. I'm quite the opposite. I'm quite the opposite. No razor shall come upon his head, for this child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save the Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Now there is the parameters. There are the parameters of the calling of Samson. So, what is a Nazarite? That's what we need to answer. Because you'll find that Samuel, Samson, and John the Baptist, they were Nazarites. Or what I would call perpetual Nazarites. They were from birth to the day they died. They were perpetual Nazarites. So some of the clever ones among you will say, what about Jesus? Jesus was a Nazarene. Now, if you thought that the Nazarene and the Nazarite is the same thing, you're a Nazarong. <laughs> because when you're from Nazareth, you're a Nazarene. But when, you've made a, when there's an oath to serve God with a, in a very special way, then you become a Nazarite. And every Nazarite in the Word of God, you could be a, 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 for a short while you could be a Nazarite, and I'll show you now how and, and, and what. But these three men were called to be Nazarites from birth until death because they were pictures of the Messiah. Now Jesus wasn't a selfie. He couldn't be a picture of himself. So Jesus was not a Nazarite. Jesus was God himself. He was fully man, fully God. And these people were just pictures of what the Messiah would be. So for that, we'll go to Numbers. I can hear you guys turning frantically there. Just to show you what a Nazarite is, so you can understand Samson a bit better. And you'll tell the story of Samson differently once you've got this right. It says here, is that the time? 
Okay, that was the introduction so far. Okay, I'll, I'll cut this short. It says here, the vow, the Nazarite vow, this is Numbers chapter 6, verse 1. It says, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say unto them, when either a man or a woman makes a special vow, the vow of the Nazarite, to separate himself unto the Lord, he shall separate himself from the wine, oops, and strong drink. He shall drink no vinegar. I don't know why anybody would want to do that. Maybe if you've got a bubble loss or something. Um, and made um, no vinegar made from wine or strong drink. And he shall not drink, listen to this, any juice of the grapes. It's not just wine. It's the fruit of the vine. It includes everything that comes from the vine. It says here, and eat grapes fresh or dried. That's raisins. All the days of his separation, he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine, not even the seeds or the skins. Nothing, nothing. Let me tell you, the Greek word there means nothing. Absolutely nothing. All the days of his vows, all the, all the days of his vow of separation, no razor shall touch his head. So can you see now when the angel spoke to the mother, he was quoting the vow of the Nazarite. Until the time is completed for which he separates himself unto the Lord, he shall be holy. He, sh he shall let the locks of his hair of his head grow long. And all the days of his separation, himself, he separates himself to the Lord. He shall not go near a dead body, not even... For his father or mother's sake, or for his brother or sister, if they die, he shall make himself unclean, because his separation of God is on his head. All the days of his separation, he is holy unto the Lord. That is the key to fulfill your ministry, to be holy unto the Lord. Now, I know we didn't say the vow from our birth, but, but when God gave us new birth. From that moment, he has called us. From that moment, he's drawn us and he's put on our, inside of us a seed. He's put on us a calling. He wants to do something significant with our lives. Our response should be holy unto the Lord. So let's look at, at Samson. What's the first thing he got wrong? I'll just mention the three quickly so that you can see it as we go along. Number one, he was not to have of the fruit of the vine. We agree on that? The Bible said that. And that speaks of, because it's all the fruit of the vine, it speaks of opulence, luxury. Because the kings had, had grapes and they had raisins. Um, they had different juices that they could drink. The, the average guy didn't have that. It speaks of luxury. There's a sacrifice of luxury. There's a sacrifice of living a simple life. That is called to. The second thing was, he was not allowed to touch a dead body. So where the first thing was luxury, the second thing is being unclean. He's not allowed to be unclean. And the third thing was, he was not allowed to cut his hair. Now here's what I want you to see. The cutting of the hair is the external sh showing of the fact that he's a Nazarite. 
is the external display of being a Nazarite. And the, the thing is, you can sometimes touch the grape, touch the dead body, but your hair is not cut and people wouldn't know you have sinned. But it's when the, outer, the, the outward testimony goes that you, that, that you know you're in trouble. So it says here, if you read through this chapter, firstly, he goes, every time he goes, and I'm not going to even deal tonight with the fact that he was morally challenged. He couldn't keep his hands off woman. That's another topic all on its own. But the first thing he does is he flirts with sin. So he's told not to go, not to take of the fruit of the vine. But every time you read, Samson going somewhere, he'll say, and he was in the vineyard. <laughs> Doing what? Eating grapes. And even if he didn't eat grapes, the question is how close to sin could he come? How close to disobedience could he come before he actually sinned? Do you know that Joseph didn't go to prison because he sinned? He went to prison because he was just too close to sin. Because the lady could reach out and grab his garment, it says that he was in the vicinity of sin. And for that, he went to prison. So he flirted with sin. Every time you see him, He's in the vineyard. And he actually says, and he went down to this area and turned off and went into the vineyard. And in one case, it says, it says he turned off, went into the vineyard, and there's a young lion. God sends a lion to roar at him to tell him he should not be here. What's the second vow of the Nazarite? Not to touch a dead animal. So he kills the lion. Not only did he touch a dead animal, he killed the lion himself. And later on in the story, you read that when he loses this bet, this riddle that he, got, that, that he lost, he goes, and I like, I prefer the, the ESV, it says the jawbone of a donkey. And he takes the jawbone of a donkey, and he annihilates a group of people. He just kills them. What's the jawbone of a donkey? Dead animal. He kept on breaking. He had no respect. He had a disregard for the calling on his life. And before we judge Samson, can I ask you, have you been flirting with sin? Have you been touching what God has told you not to touch? Have you been taking in through your mouth or through your eyes what God has told you not to take in? He flirted with sin. He killed the lion. And then a few days later, it says, and we went to the vineyard again to check out the lion. And inside the lion, there was now, there was now a honeycomb. And he's not supposed to touch dead animals, but he takes out the honey from the dead animal and he eats it and he gives it to his parents as well. Think about it. God gave him a huge calling. 
he was, he, he was called to start to lead his people to freedom. And he had a total disrespect for what God has called him to. If I think about um, Jacob and Esau, a lot of people grapple with the scripture, and God loved Jacob, but he hated Esau. People grapple with that scripture. The bit that I understand is as a father, a firstborn had certain rights. It was your, there couldn't, couldn't be two firstborns. Maybe in South Africa, yeah, yeah. But there couldn't be two firstborns. So if you're the firstborn, you respect that right, that birthright. But he sold his for a pot of soup. He disrespected his birthright. He disrespected what God ordained for him to be. God ordained for him to be first. So he disrespected what God wanted from him. Question is, if you see God's reaction to that, how far can we go before God really become displeased with us? So I ask you the question, have you been visiting the vineyard lately? And the vineyard for you might look totally different than for Samson because these are the parameters of his calling. You need to go before God and find the parameters of your calling. What has God called you to do? And then you have to respond within those parameters. If God has called you to sit up late at night and study his word, then don't ask God why the other people can go to bed and you have to sit up. You operate within the parameters God has called you to operate in. And then we find when he falls, when he, when he lays his head into the lap of a woman who was going to betray him, and he shares his deepest, deepest secret, he gets his hair cut. Now, I put my head on Azalea's lap one night, and this is how I came out. <laughs> Can we take a lesson from that? Don't lay your head on every available lap. Not every available lap is meant for you to put your head on. Sometimes God speaks to us and God imparts stuff in our lives and we share it with the wrong people. And they're not happy for us. And they will do everything in their mind to stop us from fulfilling our ministry. Learn to lay your head where it's safe, even like Jacob, when you have to put your head on a rock. You do that. Where it's safe, we'll, where you will have an encounter with God. Jacob, when he lay his head on that rock, he had an encounter with God. Not every available lap is meant for your head. So what do you think? When, when his hair got cut and the guys ran in and grabbed him, where did his strength come from? Where did Samson's strength come from? A lot of people will say his hair. But here's the key. The secret to Samson's strength was the covenant that God made with his mother and with him. It wasn't his hair. 
the hair was a symbol of the covenant, an outward symbol. The secret, the secret to that strength that he had, because every time strength came, God said, and the Holy Spirit came upon him. Strength came, and the strength, the secret thereof, was in the covenant that God had with him. The source of his strength was the Holy Spirit. So it's got nothing to do with Samson's build. I'm not sure how big he was. I'm not sure, I'm not sure if he was built like me or not. Because then I would understand him doing all the stuff that he did. But, but it, in my little mind, if he was too big, nobody would understand that it's the Holy Spirit coming upon him. You see, he, he could have been a very average guy. But every time the Holy Spirit came upon him, he would do mighty stuff. And that's a key to us. In your ministry, you want to fulfill your ministry? Wait on the Holy Spirit of God. Depend on the covenant, the new covenant that Jesus brought in for us. He put the old away and he brought a new one when he gave his life on the cross of Calvary. When he shed his blood, he brought the new covenant. And because of that covenant, when we stand, when we, when we depend on him, that's where we find our strength. Sometimes people make the mistake, if a guy's a public speaker and he speaks well, they assume he'll be a preacher. Preaching's got nothing to do with eloquence of speaking. It's the Holy Spirit. So if you want to do, if you, if you want to prepare, prepare well to be a preacher, spend time with the Holy Spirit. Better close. I'll go this way. As I said, when Samson went to the, to the vineyard, nobody knew. Maybe when he, when he even took the honey from the dead animal, nobody knew. And he could still operate in his gifting. So the question has to be, do you have and do I have secret sins that binds us and prevents us from living in everything that God has for us, but we're getting away with it because we're gifted in certain areas? And we can hide the sin because we are gifted. But remember, people might not see, but God saw. So the thing that we have to look at, uh, that we have to need to take stock about tonight is, are there any secret sins in our lives? Then tonight, is it you had the word about repenting? What's that scripture in Psalm? Then tonight, your response is, Lord, I repent. I surrender to you. The next question I want to ask you is this. Who cut your hair? Why are you sitting where you're sitting when God has called you into something specific? Who cut your hair?
I want to say to you that if life is a grind, and I'm referring to the portion of Scripture where Samson went around and round with the mill, if life is a grind, then somebody cut your hair. Because when you're living in everything that God has for you, yes, there are difficult times, but life is not a grind. So can I ask you, who cut your hair? What has caused you to stop doing what God has called you to do? I'm going back to the start. We sang, King of glory, have your glory. And if we meant that, then we will take stock tonight and say, Lord, I am not doing what you've called me to do. Maybe you took offense. Then it's exactly that you took offense. Untake offense again. Offense is your problem, not somebody else's problem. You take offense. I like taking examples with cake. If I take chocolate cake, I take chocolate cake. And if I eat it, I get sick. Too much sugar for me. So I can't blame the person who baked the cake. Because I took. And in the same way, offense, if I take offense, it's my problem. And I have to deal with it. Who cut your hair? It's sad, but if I go back to the original scripture we read, Second Timothy, now India, so there's just too much to go into. It's sad, but this verse Samson could never say in verse 7 of chapter 4 of Second Timothy. Paul writes and he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to those who loved his appearing. If, if for some other reason you had to stand before God today, can you say that you've completed the race that God has called you to raise. Can you truly say that you have fulfilled the purpose for which God has called you? You know what the sad thing is? There are many Christians in heaven today. They're at home in heaven with their work on earth undone. I don't want to be one of them. And if you don't want to be one of them, I suggest that you come before a holy God and repent of whatever that thing is that holds you back. I'm going to ask the worship team. Have you got that song? Where is it? Where is the worship? Have they disappeared? Have they been raptured? Have you got that song for me? I surrender all. And as we sing that song, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to do that, Joey, but it's okay if people first worship from there. And when you truly mean, I surrender all, then you come forward and you stand here and you sing it. As a testimony of the decision that you've made 
that today, today, you will break the shackles that has bound you for so long. Don't take it lightly. It's a moment between you and God. And as we sing this hymn, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. And God's Holy Spirit speaks to you. If he reminds you of your moment in the vineyard, as he reminds you of moments that you ate from the dead animal, as he reminds you from anything that has caused your hair to be cut, then I would like you to come forward and worship at this place because it's good news. This is, for me, this is the greatest scripture ever written, and you'll understand why in a moment. I didn't give this to you at the back. I'm not sure how quickly you can get to that, but...